Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to Think Humanities. On occasion, we take a break from books, history, and our speakers, bureau guests to introduce you to some interesting and intriguing people, people we've gotten to know that we think you should also get to know. One of those is Clarence Glover, a member of the Kentucky Humanities Board of Directors. You may know him for his basketball fame at Western Kentucky University a few years ago, But after his stellar college and pro career, he turned his attention to education and young people and his proud status as an alumni of Western Kentucky University. Clarence, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Bill. It's great being here. So let's start with uh, your boyhood, if you will, Uh, in um, Horse Cave, Kentucky. Now, you know that I'm uh, from the neighboring county and neighboring town. We were a big city, Glasgow, compared to Horse Cave. So I've known about Horse Cave all of my life, but a lot of people don't even know where it is. So tell us about uh, Horse Cave and growing up there as a young youngster. I uh, grew up in the Henrytown section of, of Horse Cave, and that was what we may call across the tracks, on the other side of the tracks. I attended the Horse Cave College School through the fourth grade, and beginning in the fifth grade, I went to Cavern Independent School District, and that is where I met my mentor, Mr. Ralph Dorsey. A little bit about Mr. Dorsey. He was an athlete at, at Horse Cave School because there was not a Caverna at that time, and he attended Indiana University. He was on the first Indiana University, NCAA National Championship team, uh, and that was the second NCAA championship uh, of all time. So Mr. Dorsey became my mentor in the fifth grade throughout the remainder of his life, and he was very instrumental in many of the things that took place with me in growing up. Now, as you know, it may still be a little bit, or maybe quite a bit, but but in those days, things were, were fairly segregated because we were just going through uh, integration. And so I became a little league basketball player, mainly due to Mr. Dorsey. Uh, continued throughout high school. I participated in basketball in the junior level and at the high school level. But one of the things that uh, remained the same was that that we did have a little bit of uh, classification in Kentucky and in the United States in regard to the skin color. And that did make a little bit of difference in growing up as far as the opportunities that you would get for particular education or the opportunities that you would get for employment. Clarence, let me ask you, as, um, as a youngster uh, in, in the fifth grade and even um, – 
you were what I guess about uh, fifth grade is going to be about twelve. Uh, but did, do you remember the? Um, you mentioned going to the all uh, black school up through the fourth grade. Do you remember uh, witnessing or feeling like? Uh, you were segregated or that there was some prejudice that uh, that you grew up with uh, as, as a youngster before you went to to Caverna and of course I know you're going to to be able to relate to me some stories uh, uh, as a as a young man as a teenager and as an adult too that that were unfairly uh, put upon you but what about as a young a young boy were you conscious of um, segregation and of the a division of the races at that time? The, the interesting point about uh, being in the grades one through four at what we call the Horse Cave Color School, our principal was a man by the name of Newton S. Thomas. Uh, Mr. Thomas is, of course, in the, uh, the different halls of fame because of his coaching and other things that he did. He was our principal at the school and in the Henrytown section probably through the fourth grade, I did not venture very often, if any, across the railroad tracks. When you cross the railroad tracks, you went into downtown Horse Cave, Houghton's Grocery, Pierce's Market, that type of thing. And so in that sense, there was not a great deal of discrimination that I may have felt because I didn't venture across the tracks that often. So, uh, Within looking at within looking at that, my feeling was that maybe there was no other school until I started to find out that there was another school on the other side of the tracks, and sometimes the basketball team for the college school would get to use the gymnasium of the Horse Cave School, and I didn't know very much about the basketball because I didn't get to go to things like that, and I actually didn't really. Uh, I didn't know anything really about basketball at all until I, until I went to Caverna. What do you remember most about uh, Mr. Dorsey and how he uh, accepted you for uh, the young man that you were at that time and the basketball player that you would become? I, I don't know if Mr. Dorsey knew or felt that I would ever become a, a uh, become proficient, you may say, at the game of basketball. Two things are there. Number one is my parents, my mother uh, worked as a domestic for Mr. Dorsey's parents, uh, ironing clothes, doing things of that nature. And my father uh, would work for them sometimes, mowing the yard, things of that nature. So Mr. Dorsey knew who my parents were. And so therefore were, were looking out for me a little. In doing that, my friends wanted to play this game called basketball, and I did not because I, I was a baseball fan. So since I didn't have anyone to play with as a fifth grader, then I had to look at basketball. I decided not to play the basketball because you have to wear shorts. <laughs> so, so Mr. Dorsey, Mr. Dorsey talked to me and said, all the other kids are wearing shorts too. So, uh, and at that point, he saw that playing in my regular street clothes, that I was fair, maybe not great, but fair, fair athlete. 
so the first little league game, and we called it little league, the first little league game, I sat on the sidelines and watched all the other kids play. And they all ran around in their shorts. So the next game, I told Mr. Dorsey, who was superintendent of schools, he was not the coach of the little league teams, that I felt that, well, maybe I could wear shorts too. And so that started my basketball participation at Caverna uh, with wearing the shorts. So the fifth and sixth grade little league teams played each other because we were a very small school. Grade seven through 12, we had about from 390 to 415 students. And so I would play against the sixth graders as well as the fifth graders. So tell me about your growing up um, in uh, at Caverna High School, uh, moving into uh, the higher grades, uh, beginning to uh, play basketball uh, much, much better um, than maybe you ever thought you could, wearing shorts uh, all the time, uh, traveling to other uh, schools outside of um, of the uh, Caverna School District, outside of Hart County. Um, tell me a little bit about your high school years. As I moved into, speaking of high school, as I moved into the um, seventh grade, leaving the fifth and sixth grade, what well, grades went through, six were in Horse Cave at the elementary school. Grade seven through 12 were at the high school. And so as a seventh and eighth grader, I actually was a middle schooler, but um, it was at the high school. So you saw the high school kids and everybody mingled together, etc. In the seventh grade, I was on the seventh and eighth grade basketball team. Uh, and I played on that for two years, seventh grade and eighth grade. And, of course, looking at Little League, the, the kids and the cheerleaders thought I was the star of the Little League. Uh, I did not think that except for on Saturdays when they would have the people in, and the cheerleaders would give me a free Coke uh, so I would perform better on the basketball court So because the cheerleaders thought I was good. Seventh and eighth grade, uh, basically the same. The thing that took place, I guess, in our community was in Henrytown, you go to the barbershop, get your hair cut, and people from Munfordville, Hardyville, which was Hart Memorial High School at that time, Munfordville was Munfordville High School at that time, and Park City. So so the, the black kids from those areas would come to Horse Cave to get their hair cut. And Cave City would come there. So I would sit and listen, and people thought I was pretty good. The guy cutting the hair, eh, the kid's not any good. The uh, the Nordal pundits that got their hair cut, ah, he's probably okay. Because if, you, if you've been in a barbershop, whereas I've not been lately because I don't have any hair anymore, but if you've been in a barbershop, they talk, they know everything. They talk about everything from movies all the way through. So the interesting thing about, I guess, segregation and integration and desegregation was once the people across the tracks put in the newspaper 
that I was the coming of the next greatest player to ever come out of Forest Cave. The news traveled across the tracks to the barbershop. And so when I walked into the barbershop on one Saturday, being okay, and I walk into the barbershop on the next Saturday, and I'm one of the greatest things that ever happened. <laughs> and it stemmed from, as I said, segregation and the fact that someone white said, this kid is good. Someone put in the paper, this kid is good. Someone said in the, on radio, this kid is good. And so now all the pundits were talking about how great I was and how great I was going to be. How tall were you uh, in high school, uh, Clarence, or did you reach your growth spurt there? Did you continue to to grow up? Because you're now, uh, or you played college and pro ball at, at what height? Coming through the eighth grade, I was around about five foot eight, and I had a growth spurt, a really big growth spurt, uh, during the summer up and going into grade nine. And in grade nine, I was about six foot three. I mean, just jumped. The interesting part about that was that my shoe size increased too. And being very poor, because I, we were very poor, I worked in the I worked in the cafeteria to pay for my lunch, and I worked every summer in the tobacco and hay fields to pay for my school clothing and and books for school. So we were very poor, and I I uh, the shoe size started to increase. And which meant that your parents had to buy some new shoes, which you couldn't afford. But with working in tobacco, that was what that was what I did to make that money for that. So the size jumped to six foot three, and of course, the talent tried to keep up with the size, and I actually, uh, I actually did, because it was not that I had a love for the game, because I actually did not. But it was the fact that I had to. Uh, I wanted to be with my friends, and my friends wanted to play basketball, so I played basketball. And it turned out that I had to play with the older kids because the older kids wanted me on their team because by the time I reached the ninth grade, I was better than the than the kids who were already out of high school. So tell me about your your junior, senior year, especially your senior year, and uh, did you ever have any thought at that time – uh, that you might go to college, whether you were going to play basketball or not? Yes, college aspirations probably started in the ninth, around grade nine, um, because that's when you know small schools and different schools in Kentucky had tracking, and you're either in the college track or you were not. And so due to the fact of that, the grade nine, it was obvious because I was already getting letters from colleges that I would be attending college. And the superintendent of the schools was my mentor. So it would be ludicrous to wait until I was a junior to start thinking about college. Um, so, but I will jump to junior year. And, and the reason I mention this is in the ninth grade, some people felt it was pretty good if they got 15 rebounds in one game. Well, of course, I was averaging over 15 rebounds a game. Um, sophomore year, I was averaging over 17 rebounds a game. Junior year, I averaged a little bit over 21 rebounds a game. And the senior year, I averaged a little bit over 24 rebounds a game with 
with 42 being my highest for one game, and I was able to achieve that in multiple games. So with, with that in mind, my scoring was not as high as my actually was not as high as my rebound average because my assist average and block shot average was fairly high. And I like to pass the ball almost as much as I like to like to shoot the ball. And my teammates enjoyed that too. Because when people would collapse on me, then of course I would just make the pass to an open teammate. Was Mr. Dorsey still uh, an influence in your life uh, as far as uh, choosing Western Kentucky University? Mr. Dorsey, of course, was my high school baseball coach, and he was my high school basketball coach. Uh, He would not have been an influence on choosing Western Kentucky University because the one thing that he did tell me was, although he attended – Indiana University, and I had a mail from Indiana University, a visit for Indiana University. He said, do not choose Indiana University because of me, because you will not see very many people that look like you there. Um, in the seventh grade, he said to me, we, were, we would travel around the state together, and we would usually take one of the male teachers or male coaches, and the three of us would head off to some part of the state, maybe Bloomfield or any particular place that they were playing basketball. And I would sit in the back seat and listen to them talk. And as the saying was, you know, children are to be seen, not heard. So I never said a word. I just listened to what they would say, would talk about. After they finished their conversation and the teacher was dropped off, I would hop in the front seat, and then Mr. Dorsey and I would then talk. I don't know if I, if I have proper time to tell this. So this particular day, this teacher was talking about the jobs that, te- that women could do. And he had said that women could be a nurse, a teacher, and a secretary. And he didn't mention very much as he differentiated about what people of color could do uh, because we may have been classified in, in this particular teacher's mind as woman, male, et cetera. So when he dropped the teacher off and hopped in the front seat, we were driving. Uh, he was driving. We were silent for a couple of minutes. And then he looks over at me and he says, Clarence. Do not allow anyone to place boundaries on you, your intelligence, and how high you can achieve just because they feel that you are Negro. You are the person that will set your own boundaries. And I, I, I thought about that. Well, at that point, being in the seventh grade, I just said, yes, sir. <laughs> but later, as I thought about that, um, I knew that that yeah that 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 was uh, that was what I would have to do, and so I guess that reflects back on the questions that you asked about college, uh, because West Kentucky University was not my was not my first choice, and I had already made a verbal but not written a verbal commitment to another 
what you would call major, major school because I was going to major in business administration. Well, Clarence, um, you've got quite a story to tell. Um, you were a, uh, a star at Western Kentucky University. I want you to reflect on that some. Uh, your time in the pros. We've got your adult life uh, to squeeze in here on the podcast. But if you don't mind, uh, we're going to hear a word from our great underwriter, Spalding University in Louisville, and then we'll come back to Clarence Glover. The Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing offers students intellectual rigor, emotional support, affordability, flexibility, and community at the world's first certified compassionate university. From certificate to terminal degree, the programs at Spalding School of Writing foster lifelong writing habits and help you forge a lasting writing community. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email school of writing at spalding.edu. Clarence, uh, tell me about your uh, time at Western Kentucky University, the uh, the guys you played with, uh, the coach, and what uh, uh, a change that was from uh, playing in front of, uh, what, 100 or so people at Caverna High School, maybe 150 people, uh, to playing at, at Diddle Arena. It was a little bit of a change, you may say, from Caverna to Diddle Arena. As I noted before, I was not, West Kentucky University was not my first choice. You may be familiar with the Kentucky All-Stars, high school All-Stars in 2020 or 2018, totally different from when I was in school. When I was in school, the Kentucky All-Stars was the biggest thing happening in Kentucky, and we would we would spend two weeks together. Now, my nephew, who was also a Kentucky All-Star, uh, spent Friday and Saturday. They played played on Saturday, played on Sunday, and they're back home. Doing this, doing our All Stars for the two weeks. My roommate at the at the Brown Hotel in Louisville was Jim McDaniel's. Jim was Mister Basketball. Every day, the other players would come to our room because they wanted to be around McDaniel's. One day, McDaniel said to the guys. Guys, I bet if we all went to the same college, we could win a national championship. And they all kind of gravitated to the center of the room to talk about that. As I mentioned before, I verbally committed to a major major outside of Kentucky. And so, therefore, I was going to a different school. So I just moved to a different part of the room and pretended as though I was writing and doing other things. So Jerry Walsh. St. Xavier, Jim Rose, Hazard, Jerome Perry, Dumont, Dupont Manual, Jim McDaniels, Island County, Bobby Jones from Frankfurt, all put their hand in together, just like they're in a huddle, and said, let's do this. Rose was the first one that said, I'll go with, I'll, well, first I have to say, McDaniel said that he was going to go to Western Kentucky University. And so Rose said, I'll go, to, I'll go to Western because that's what we called it back then. I'll go to Western with the big fella. And so one by one, they all put their hands in. So I continue writing at the desk, the little desk over there, writing nothing. And so they're all standing there looking at me. And I 
I said, why are you guys looking at me? And they said, we're waiting on you. And I said, I've already committed to another school. Now, if you guys want to go there, fine. Uh, but but I'm not going to West Kentucky because I've given my verbal commitment someplace else. So they were standing in front of the door. And each of the guys, well, McDaniel says, says, Glover, we need you. And we're going to stand with our hands in this huddle until you, until you put yours in. I thought about it. And then finally, McDaniel said it was 10 minutes. It was only like three. But I, I finally put my hand in because I thought they're going to forget about this as soon as the All-Star Game is over anyhow. Long story short, everybody went to West Kentucky University except Bobby Jones, who went to junior college and then to Drake. When we got to West Kentucky University, we had the freshman team back then because freshmen could not play on the varsity. So it was uh, Jerry Walsh and I started it forward. Perry uh, and Rose at guard and McDaniels at center. And that was our freshman year. We were ranked, as far as I know, the number one uh, freshman team in the country. Sophomore year, we did not live up to the billing. Uh, we had a fair year, and we did not make it to the NCAA tournament. Junior year, we made it to the NCAA tournament, won the OBC conference, and ran into a buzzsaw called Jacksonville with artist Gilmore, Rex Morgan. Rex became my teammate on the Celtics. Pembroke Burris, who was also right around seven foot, artist whom you've met was about seven one. Rex Morgan was a shooter uh, and was the number two draft choice of the Boston Celtics uh, his year. And that was our first game, and we we got beat. Uh, it wasn't good because now we only have one year left, and our goal was not just to go to the tournament. Our goal was to be national champions. We worked very hard during that offseason, not because of coaches, but because we needed to do this. <clears throat> In the meantime, Jerry Walsh decided that he was going to continue at Western Kentucky University, but that he was going to leave basketball. So we had lost Jerry. <clears throat> Jerome Perry was playing in a pickup game with Rose McDaniels and some others. And he and Rose went for a ball. Rose died for the ball, accidentally hit Perry's knee. Perry had surgery. He was out for the year. So the seniors that went to West Kentucky University, the only ones now were left were McDaniels, Rose, and Glover. But we felt that we could still do it. Now, another point in mind while I'm mentioning this is that from freshman year through senior year, our senior class was the only one in the history of West Kentucky University to never lose a game or to say to win every game, every home game. So we never lost a home game. So the people came because they knew we were going to win and they were going to have a good time. So we went into the season and we went in gung-ho. I went to Madison Square Garden, went all the way to the finals of their Christmas tournament, uh, lost in the finals on a controversial call. 
that most of the people thought that uh, was a bad call, particularly us. We thought it was a bad call, but we lost to South Carolina. Um, on the way back, we stopped to play Michigan State and I guess took it out on the Big Ten, so we we beat them handily. Uh, so, uh, and then on back down to, to WKU. We had lost to Jacksonville the year prior. So Coach Hornback, who's athletic director, had signed with their athletic director to play Jacksonville in Freedom Hall. And Freedom Hall was packed. So we, long story short, we, we beat them 12 points with Otis Gilmore in that group. And I guess to that point was my best game of the year. When I would explain to my students as a teacher and as a principal, they would ask, what did you do? You, you score about 40 points? And I said, no, I had maybe seven or eight points. And they would say, and that was your best game? And I said, yes, it was. Because I was instrumental in us beating Jacksonville. And I said, I set the tone for the entire game. And they said, you scored eight points and set the tone for the entire game. So I explained to them a little bit about the psychology of athletics. And it and I played a I played a game that used a lot of psychology. So within this, the very first time that Jacksonville shot the basketball, because they got the tip, they went down and shot the basketball. I went high above the rim, and instead of using a two-hand rebound, which is the best way to do it because you have proper uh, possession of the ball, I went high above the rim with one hand, took the ball and slammed it down into my left hand and made a loud noise that could be heard throughout Freedom Hall. And the West Kentucky University crowd erupted. And at that point, it was our game because they never let up from then and our players never let up from then. So I guess to continue, Bill, of course, we beat artists in that group. But then in the national tournament, we had to play them again. And so now we have to beat them two times in one year. During the first half of the tournament game, Jacksonville had us down 17 points, and we went into halftime 14 points down. In those days with no three-point shot, you couldn't dunk. It was almost unheard of coming back from a 14-point deficit to win. People told me that they cut their radios off, went outside, and it was a nationally televised game on NBC with Kurt Gowdy. Many people said they they cut the TVs off and said, forget it. They were surprised the next day when they found out that we won. And as some people said, and this is how we won. With eight seconds to go in the game, Jim Rose went in for a layup. We battled our way back to a 72-72 tie. Artist Gilmore blocked Rose's shot and called timeout with eight seconds to go. That was their final timeout. 
and West Kentucky had already used their final timeout, so there were no timeouts left. They set it up, and I knew what they were going to do because they were going to get the ball to Gilmore. I felt really bad because I was guarding Gilmore. And for people that have played basketball or seen Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame or Gilmore play, that was not anything that a position anyone wanted to be in. But I was looked after because sometimes a miracle happens and a miracle happened that day. They inbounded the ball to Ernie Fleming. Fleming took about three dribbles, saw an open man, and started to pass the ball. As he began to pass the ball, Jim Rose went to intercept the ball. Now, had, had, had Fleming passed the ball, Rose would have intercepted the pass and would have had a wide open layup. So very wisely, very wisely, Fleming decided to double dribble. And as he did, he stood there dejected with the ball. Everybody from his team went to the ball. Everybody from our team went to the ball because it was going to be our ball. And so I was the only player who was down on the other end guarding Gilmore, and I just walked very quietly back up the court on the opposite side that everybody else went on. And I walked until I was close to our goal, and I could align myself behind the defense and behind our players. So none of my players could see me because I knelt down as though I was tying my shoe, and none of their players could see me because I knelt down as though I was tying my shoe. And some people say that the that the coach from the other team saw me and was yelling number four. Now I didn't know that because we had twelve thousand people at the University of Notre Dame, which was the site where the game was being played. The only thing I could hear was my heart beating like crazy because nobody in the Notre Dame arena knew what I was doing except me. Coaches didn't know because we didn't have any timeouts. My teammates didn't know because we didn't have any timeouts. And I knew that if I screwed this up, I could be in big trouble. But the thing was that the play was going to be to get the ball to McDaniels anyhow. So I figured it wasn't that much for me to lose. If they didn't see me, then they'd get the ball to McDaniels. I did not touch my shoes because I did not want the, the referee to think that I was tying my shoe. I just knelt down with my hands beside my shoes. Coach Jim Richards was the assistant coach to John Oldham. And Coach Richards said, just as the official was handing the center the ball, he saw me and yelled, Gary, Clarence is open. And he said, Gary yelled back, open? He's not even on the court. Where is he? And so Gary said, since he couldn't see me, he was going to pass the ball to McDaniels. And just as he was getting ready to pass the ball to McDaniels, I stood up, waved my hands. He saw me through the pass. I put the ball in the basket. By the time Jacksonville got the ball back to half court, the game was over, and the legendary shoestring play went into Kentucky folklore. <laughs> what a great story, Clarence. That's a wonderful story. Um, and that is a story that uh, lives on and on and on. And I, I know that uh, it, it is legendary and, and you're uh, to be um, certainly uh, proud of, of that moment. And, and, but that was only uh, part of, uh, of who you became and, 
and uh, your educational opportunities uh, after uh, pro ball, uh, pro ball. And I want you just to spend just a minute because I know the uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame means a great deal to you. Uh, it's really special to you. You're a big supporter uh, of the Kentucky Basketball Hall of Fame. Tell us just briefly about uh, your interest there and uh, a, a ceremony that uh, was uh, just held uh, in November and um, just uh, what your feelings are about that. Oh, thanks, Bill, I, because I was really wanting to, uh, to, to speak about two or three of these guys very quickly because I know we're running close on time. And also just wanted to mention that my career as an educator uh, started in Boston at Roxbury High School, moved over to Yumana High School, which was Mario Yumana, Harvard School of Science and Technology, and then back to Indiana, and then back to Kentucky. During that brief period of time, I was named high school basketball coach of the year in uh, Massachusetts, teacher of the year at Roxbury High School. I uh, later coached at Purdue University. But while I was in Massachusetts, I was the assistant headmaster, which is an elite way of saying assistant principal of high school. But in Boston, uh, it was headmaster. If you were at a middle school, elementary school, it was called principal. If you were at a high school, it was called headmaster. Uh, I coached Patrick Ewing in the Boston shootout. You may have heard of Patrick Ewing. He's in the Hall of Fame and uh, attended Georgetown University. Uh, and I coached other guys too that were that played in the pros as an all-star coach, but none of my high school players played, played in the pros. I was a principal in Kentucky, assistant superintendent or assistant to the superintendent of the Fayette County Schools, the second largest school district in Kentucky, and a principal in Jefferson County, Kentucky. And I was received the uh, certificate of excellence as a middle school principal. Now, very quickly back to the Kentucky uh, High School Basketball Hall of Fame that took place in November of 2020. I was looking through some of the names, and it was interesting because the first uh, Sweet 16 was 1918. So we have over 100 years of boys' basketball and over 100,000 youngsters that played high school basketball. And I was looking through the 75 people that now represent that 100,000 people. And I was just checking to see the guys that I knew or were acquainted with, et cetera. And I may be speaking very quickly because I know we're getting close on time, but I looked at there's Butch Beard from Breckenridge County that I've known for years. Bobby Rascal from Davis County that, that uh, was a WKU person that, has been a friend for years. Bobby Washington, Dunbar High School in Lexington. Uh, Clem Haskins, probably the greatest high school player, basketball player ever come out of Taylor County High School that was uh, a hero of mine because I was in the eighth grade when he was a senior in, in, in Taylor County. I was in eighth grade at Caverna and I looked up to him. Cliff Hagen uh, from Orangeboro High School. Daryl Carey, Bristol. When I first met Daryl, Daryl Carey, I said, I said, Daryl, what I know about you is that you scored 50-some points in one game, and the coach from the other team came over and said, 
I'm going to shake your left hand because your right hand has to be tired. <laughs> and and Daryl really, he really liked that one. <laughs> Dwight Smith, Smith from Princeton Dotson. I saw him play in the, in the, the Kentucky High School Sweet 16, and he was one of the best players that I ever saw in high school. Frank Ramsey from Madisonville, former Celtic, whom I got to know when I was with the Celtics. Uh, Gene Rhodes, who was the coach at, at uh, West Kentucky University, Mill High School, and George Wilson from Dunbar, who was a hero of mine. There's two or three more that I'd like to mention. J.R. Van Hoosen from Paintsville High School. And Jay and I met just a few years ago. Joe Hamilton, who has one of my trophies because he beat me up for, for most valuable play on a tournament that I, that I thought I was the most valuable player because my team won the tournament. Joe played it at Dunbar High School in Lexington. The great Jeff Mullins from Lafayette High School in Lexington, who was a, was a coach in the pros and one of the greatest players to ever play out of Kentucky. My teammates, Jim McDaniels and Jim Rose. McDaniels Island County Rose from Hazard. My college coach, John Oldham from Hartford High School. I mean, I'm naming these people because I want the people that's listening to know that I'm just a small part of this today because these people, these are the greats. Larry Conley from Ashland High School that went to UK. Mike Casey, a friend of mine for years from Shelby County, went to UK. Ralph Beard from Louisville Mail, whom I met because the governor of Kentucky invited me back to Kentucky to be part of the Bluegrass State Games. And as I walked up to the group that was Beard, uh, Conley, Hagen, uh, Wawa Jones, Paul Hornick, Pee Wee Reese. As I went to introduce myself, Ralph Beard said to the group, Clarence Glover, don't you try to introduce yourself to us. Everybody knows who you are, who you are. Made me feel so great because I knew these greats did not know who Clarence Glover was. But, but Mr. Beard held a place in my heart. Rex Chapman, Orangeboro Apollo. His dad, uh, Wayne Chapman, and I had been, been friends since college. And I knew Rex since, uh, well, almost since he was born. Uh, Ron King, and as I, as I, Todd May, who I tried to recruit, to recruit to come to Purdue when he was playing at Virgie and he went to UK. Tom Thacker, and of course, Mr. Wawa Jones, who I've heard about from as a kid, Wesley Cox, and Winston Bennett. I mean, so these are just a few of the names I wanted to mention because. They make up the greats that uh, that have participated in high school basketball in Kentucky. And the Kentucky High School Basketball Hall of Fame does not look at what you did in college, nor, nor what you did in the pros, only what you did in high school. And that's what's elite and great about this group. And I'm very pleased to be a member of that of the 75 uh, people that represent that 100,000-plus high school athletes. Well, Clarence Glover, um, we're um, so proud of you and uh, we're so uh, honored and glad that you are now a a member of the board of directors of Kentucky Humanities. You have just uh, joined us within the last year. You've got a a long reign there to become uh, another champion for the humanities, for uh, history and philosophy and uh, our Kentucky Book Festival uh, 
we appreciate uh, your interest in the humanities and we appreciate your your stories um, and your your legacy as uh, a great Kentuckian. And I just want to thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm very pleased to have been with you. Uh, as I said, many other people are worthy. I'm just a servant for the Commonwealth of Kentucky to help in any way I can. And I'm pleased to be on the Humanities Board. Clarence Glover, thank you so much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.